The thing that I've learned in this study in Hebrews personally that is so incredibly uh, dynamic to me is the simplicity that the new covenant presents. I think I'm finally beginning to understand. And so the first verse that I want to review with you is the first verse of the book of Hebrews. In many ways, and by many means, God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors in the prophets. But at the end of these days, he spoke to us in son. And he appointed this son to be the heir of all things. Through him, in addition, he created the worlds, the ages. He is the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his very own being. And he sustains all things through his powerful word. He accomplished the complete cleansing needed for sin and sat down at the right hand of majesty supreme. See how much greater he is than angels. The name he was granted is finer than theirs. This is Jesus that is being talked about here. The book of Hebrews sets up the new covenant and Jesus as the center of that new covenant. And every step along the way, we've had to wrestle with what does it mean for Jesus to be the center of. In chapter 1, it's talking about creation and it's talking about the whole of what God has revealed. In chapter 2, it begins to talk about this thing that we read hints about in Romans, for instance, about creation uh, coming under the subjection, under the leadership, under the dominion of the original call for humanity, and that now we don't see everybody doing that, but we see Jesus. Then it goes into the, uh, uh, the sacrificial system and the uh, atonement systems and the priesthood, and Jesus is driven to be the centerpiece. Then we get into uh, uh, the, the nature of that priesthood, and it goes all the way back to the order of Melchizedek, all the way back to, to a centrality and a finality in that priesthood that serves forever, that doesn't just uh, take care of the issues of our body or the social issues of our sin and our interaction with one another, but it goes all the way to the cleansing of our conscience in Jesus. And then we get into the new covenant, and we realize Jesus is the centerpiece of this thing, but so are we. And, and you know, Tim, you mentioned the power of that verse in John 14, 20, that I, in that day, I, you will know that I'm in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. And, uh, and so just as we've walked through this thing, even last week in the, in the challenge of, of, of talking about sin and, and if we go on sinning willfully, uh, after knowing about this and after being exposed to this and experiencing it, there's really nothing, there's, there's nothing left but a, but a fearful expectation. I don't, I, and, and I, I know that we weren't able to totally get to the place where, oh, we know exactly what that means. We know exactly what this means. I've got something tonight that I don't know exactly what it means. I'm going to admit it, and I'm going to tell you what I did about it, and we're going to move on. But um, even the way we think about sin changes dramatically when Jesus is our focus. I remember I had a, an incident happen, a demonic incident, a long time ago when we first moved into the building that we're moving back into now. And uh, at that time, it wasn't all glassed in and everything. And I was working late down there. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I stepped out of my office and was going to walk over to the little uh, balcony area there that's now the glassed in room that we use for prayer and stuff like that. 
and I had the hair stand up on the back of my, my, uh, on my arms and what little was on my head. And I just got that creepy feeling that there was a demon there. And, uh, I walked to the front of there and I, I, I felt this thing say, not in an audible voice, but in an inside accusation, um, I'm going to point out every person's sin who comes into this building. I mean, this was really early when we were there. And it was, it was ugly. And I remember, thank God, that something rose up out of me. And I said, every time you point out a sin, I said this out loud, we are going to look at Jesus and him crucified. And the Father is going to be glorified. And then I can't tell you whether this was internal or external, audible, but there was a shriek and that thing left. And at the time, I hadn't meditated on or contemplated the new covenant to the extent that I have. And so I just thought that was, you know, just a little example, cool, of believer's authority and the Holy Spirit leading me with the right response. But now I understand Jesus is the response. And anytime we link ourselves to him, we are linked to the response that the Father has given us. And it's stunning. And so today, I want to review the, the last verse of chapter 10 so that we don't get hung up with, with worrying about the sin issue. We are not among the hesitators who are destroyed we are people of faith, and our lives will be kept safe. This is the living, current legacy of being a son or daughter in the New Covenant. Now, I happen to believe that this extends to pretty much everybody, and I believe this is the government that God is dealing with everybody. It's why Jesus visits the Muslims. It's why people's hearts are turning to the Lord and being strangely warmed. It's why the Holy Spirit outpouring has power. To, to create a sense. It's why Jesus is able to stand there at Tim's bedside in the morning through this ordeal without having to do anything special because this covenant has opened the door for that relationship and that intimacy. But I love the way, and this is in N.T. Wright's New Testament, I love the way this leads into faith because look what it says. It says, we're not among the hesitators who are destroyed. We are people of faith and our lives will be kept safe. So the thing I told you about uh, learning about the new covenant and, and seeing repeatedly impact me at, in this current study is that, yes, Jesus is the center, but in a very real way, because of that, so are you and I. Because what it talks about, every time it starts talking about Jesus being now the better, being now the center, being now this, we get drug into that in him. And all of a sudden, we're the ones with the clean conscience. We're the ones where our sins are forgiven and we're met with mercy and God remembers them no more. We're the ones that now have access to a new and living way. We're the ones that possess the, the confession that we're asked to hold on to. We, we hold, we literally possess the confession of the government of the kingdom in this new covenant. That, that our high priest has once for all done away with sin and that God is no longer counting it against us. 
This is amazing. So we find ourselves in Christ in the middle of this, and we're going to see it even more as we go on. As we go through, we're going to see ourselves as the object of God's discipline, being a good, good father, Tim. We're going to also see that we, we, are, are, we are connected. We're going to see that today. Connected with the heroes of faith, connected with the cloud of witnesses. We are connected with Zion and with the spirits of, of righteous men made perfect and with the angels and with Jesus. It's just an, a stunning thing. So we got a, just a, a couple more chapters. And in those two chapters, in those two chapters, we're going to see that we are connected at the center in Jesus with everything that God has done with heaven, with Zion. And so... What is faith? I like the way it leads into that question. We're people of faith. Our lives are going to be preserved. So what is faith? And then I want to confess a context that is changing for me a little bit because I've been a Pentecostal charismatic for quite a long time. I didn't start that way. I was a Baptist. Uh, but then uh, very quickly, I got filled with the Spirit, didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do, looked for it in the Nazarene church, looked for it in other places. Uh, I am a confirmed, spirit-filled, I believe in the gifts, I believe in healing, a Pentecostal, charismatic, third wave, you name it. I'm it. I'm in. Okay? But I can look back to just a few years ago and realize that I did not understand what Hebrews was trying to teach about faith. Because I would pull a verse out here or pull a verse out there, and I would treat faith as if it were something independent of the kingdom or, or, or maybe a part of it or like a gift that God was out here and gave me and now I now had a responsibility and I know a lot of you struggle with this because I, I mean I've been some of your pastors for quite a while and I know that we we struggle with the idea of how do I measure my faith how do I honor God with my faith do I have enough faith am I acting of faith let me let me read this and 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 make some selective emphasis and show you why Thinking of faith in the context of the new covenant can be life-changing and liberating. It can be a freedom-producing thing in incredible ways. So, back up to the last verse in, in uh, chapter 10. We are not among the hesitators who are destroyed. We are people of faith, and our lives will be kept safe. What then is faith? It's what gives assurance to our hopes. It's what gives us conviction about things that we can't see. It is what the men and women of old were famous for. It is by faith that we understand that the worlds were formed by God's words. In other words, that the, in, the visible world was not made from the things that can be seen. Now, it goes into Abel's faith and it goes for his offering, it goes into much stuff, but there's just a few examples of faith that are cited in chapter 11 that I want to focus on. Um, but there's this amazing verse, verse 6, that all my life I've, I've, I've tried to use as a definition of faith. But what I mostly ended up using it for was a definition about the pressure I was under to have faith. And so here's the verse. It's verse 6, and it says... And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to worship God must believe that he really does exist, or a lot of translations say believe that he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Now, I'm not saying it's not a good definition of faith. That's what the definition of faith is. What I'm saying is, because it was introduced in a negative, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That played into my tendency to turn every revelation about the gift of God toward us, the love of God toward us, and everything else into a duty, into something that I had to measure. And it, and it became something where I was looking at it and myself, and God was third at, at the earliest in the list. And, and I want to I wanna show you how these, these heroes of faith tell a different story. But let me go back to this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to worship God must believe that he really does exist and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, that is an extraordinarily positive set of words. It's an extraordinarily positive that God is. I mean, come on, that's the foundation for all theology. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And immediately my mind runs to the end of Revelation. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Or it runs back to Abraham and God meeting Abraham just before the Melchizedek thing, linking it to this story of Jesus in here. And God says, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm going to be your very great reward. So this is super positive. Why wasn't it positive to me? Because I was in that mode where I was going to turn everything into a, into a duty, everything into a work, everything into a measuring stick, to, and then measure myself to see if I was living up to it. And the one thing in this, in this passage that seems hard, and that plays into that in my mind, is without faith it's impossible to please God. And I have struggled and struggled and struggled because I love doing word studies. I love trying to dig stuff out. I have struggled with, with, with this question. So, Lord, what does it mean to please God? Seems significant. You know, and for a while I used my, my favorite get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't know what it means, but it means something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it mean something. So here's what I did today, and I still don't have, I, I still don't have a good technical, linguistic, analytical answer. But thank God that we're learning to live with him and not just for him. So I, I wrote this question down today. Papa, what does it mean to please you? And I sat there, and I didn't have to wait very long before I feel like the Lord gave me an answer. And here was his answer. It is when you satisfy my desire, my hope for us. It pleases me when we relate as I intended when I conceived you. It's father and son together in love and trust. Now, I don't present that to you as a doctrine. And I don't present that to you as a lexical analysis of pleasing God. I present that to you with the answer my father gave me. And I'm going with it. Let me read it to you one more time. Papa, what does it mean to please you? It's when you satisfy my desire, my hope for us. I can live with that. It pleases me when we relate as I intended when I conceived you. So if that'll work for you, I'm not asking you to let that be the final word or analysis. I'm just telling you, 
That's what God said. And now I have this gentle, soft, wonderful picture in my heart, in my mind, and in my spirit of the Father having an expression of delight come over his face when I trust him, when I acknowledge him. And so it helped. It's believing that he is. And it's believing that he is a rewarder. So now let me read to you a couple of examples that are cited here in the first half of this thing. Verse 7 says this, and this is concerning Noah. It was by faith that Noah, who had been warned by God about things that were not yet seen, took the warning seriously. And it goes on and says, and built the ark and saved and so on. But listen to this connection. What is faith? Verse 1. It was by faith that Noah, when he was warned by God about things he couldn't see, took the warning seriously. Do you see that faith in this case was an example of an extraordinary and almost unique relationship that Noah had with God. He heard God. He found favor in God's eyes. Remember, that's what it says back in Genesis. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So now, because of what, what we've done together, studying the new covenant, knowing that it's relational at its core, knowing that it's about living with God in Christ, not living for God with Christ as some sort of opportunity giver, that this is a relationship. Noah was warned by God, and he took the warning seriously. That's relational. That's relational, in, centered on communication and response. It wasn't that his faith was big enough to build a big boat. It was that he heard God, and he took it serious. Look at the next one. Uh, this is down in verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham, when God called him, obeyed. There we are again. We're not talking something abstract. We're not talking some gift deposited in Abraham, although I do believe that, that the faith was given to Abraham. But the function of faith, what faith is, what it produces, when God called Abraham, Abraham obeyed. Faith is about the relationship we have with God, what we see and what we hear. All right, that's eight. The whole verse says, it was by faith that Abraham, when God called him, obeyed and went out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. Down in verse 11, one of my favorites about faith. It was by faith that Sarah herself, then it talks about her being barren, considered that God, who had promised, was trustworthy. There was a component, we're going to look at it in Abraham's life in, in Romans. There was a component in all of these people where they could look at the circumstances around them. And I always used to think that faith was this almost magical spiritual gift that allowed me to look at the, the trouble around me and see it differently. 
But I understand now it's not, that's the wrong way to look at it. I do think a byproduct of faith is being able to look at ugly circumstances and see them differently than most people do. But what you see instead of the circumstances is God. And, and, and the wording is just beautiful in here. It was by faith that Sarah herself considered that God, who had promised, was trustworthy. You see what I'm saying? It's not faith. It's not the frontline contact with the circumstances. It's the front-loaded contact with God. It's acknowledging him in all your ways. It's recognizing that we're in him, he's in us, and that he's in the Father. So that was Sarah. Let's go on down here. Um, verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Isaac. To jump to 19, it says, he reckoned that God was capable of raising him even from the dead. You see what I'm saying? The object in the eyes of faith is not an outcome. It is God himself. There's one more I want to cover here. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? No, 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 no. Oh, nope. I'm going to go, go back. I want to, I want to jump outside to a couple of other references. This is in Mark chapter 11. It's the story about the fig tree uh, and uh, how it, the root dried up. And then Jesus does a little teaching on faith. Verse 21 of chapter 11 uh, says, Look, teacher, said Peter to Jesus, remembering what had happened before, the fig tree you cursed withered. And then Jesus says this, Have faith in God, replied Jesus. I'm telling you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, be off with you, get yourself thrown into the sea. If they have no doubt in their heart, but believe that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So let me take that middle part out. Not that it is an important instruction and not that it's not a component of faith, but look at what Jesus said when, when he had this teaching moment to talk about what was faith. Have faith in God, replied Jesus, and it'll be done for you. God is still the centerpiece of faith. Now, as a charismatic, as a Pentecostal, as a third world vineyard guy, healing guy, I confess that many, many times my vision was on the outcome I was looking for. And that carried with it a very sinister opportunity. And the opportunity was to have in the back of my mind a need for a specific outcome to validate God. If I had learned at that time to back away a little bit from thinking that my faith was designed to attach to a specific outcome and realize what Jesus said clearly here in Mark, that my faith was designed to attach to God himself, I think I'd have seen more outcomes because there'd been more room for God to do it for me. And I know that you know, we're, 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 we're understanding about, about uh, declarations. We're understanding our own status as sons of God. But what I'm learning and what I want us to keep in mind in the new covenant is that we stand in relationship to God himself in Christ before any of the other 
new covenant manifestations come. They flow out of that relationship. So when Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God, that was a relational statement. And when he wrapped it up at the end and said, it'll be done for you, that was a testimony to a relationship that the disciples did not yet know they had. But we, we know because Jesus has demonstrated it and the new covenant has put it on display. Let me take us to one more supporting scripture. Uh, this is uh, in Romans. It's about Abraham. It's about the very thing we just talked about, as a matter of fact. And um, Paul's building the case here in Romans 4 and 5 for Abraham being the father of faith. And, and so there's a lot of places to jump in here. But, you know, Abraham got these blessings before circumcision. He got them before the law was able to articulate a people and, and, and make those people, Israel, God's people. He preceded that. And verse 16 starts this way of chapter 4, Romans that's why it's by faith, so that it be, be in accordance with grace. goes on down a little bit, and it says, This happened in the presence of God in whom he believed. So let me back up and read what that was. So that it can be in accordance with faith, and so that the promise can thereby be validated for the entire family, not just simply those who are from the law. So Abraham was said he was going to be the father of many nations. His body was almost as good as dead. We read about the fact where he was willing even to sacrifice his son, knowing that God could raise him from the dead because his son represented the whole of that promise. Um, he is the father of us all. Just the Bible said, I have made you a father of many nations. This happened not as a proposition that came from heaven and was given to Abraham. It happened in the presence of the God in whom he believed. And so the thing I want us to talk about, I think about tonight, is this is the God who, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. And um, a little bit further on, it says that uh, this promise of, of your family is going to be like the stars in the sky. It says, Abraham didn't become weak in faith as he considered his own body. And then it goes on to explain his body was dead, so was Sarah. Instead, he grew strong in faith and gave God, gave glory to God. So, he grew strong in faith. Okay, the, the opening question to Hebrews chapter 11 is, what is faith? Abraham grew strong in faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God had the power to accomplish what he promised. In other words, Abraham didn't muster up enough faith, faith to receive the promise of bearing a son in his old age. He mustered up the faith. He received the faith to look God squarely in the face and say, you know, from this perspective even though this promise looks impossible, I believe you're willing and I believe you're able. And that's what I want us to walk away from tonight's message with. And I want to walk away from chapter 11 that way because uh, if we attach our faith to a particular outcome, that has the capacity to pull our attention and our heart away. And I know, again, I know because I've, I've been with a lot of you a long time, all of us have gotten to that place of desperation where we wanted something to happen. We wanted a particular thing to happen. We wanted a healing. We wanted a miracle. And deep inside, maybe not that deep inside, but we usually didn't talk about it. It was so that our unbelief could be validated and eliminated. 
And if you have unbelief while you're praying for a miracle, you should hold off on praying for the miracle for a moment and look at God. And I know that's super simplistic and it could be misinterpreted. But if we will not try to manhandle our doubts, but we will acknowledge them in humility, look fully in the face of Jesus, like Abraham did after examining and thinking about and contemplating deeply his own barrenness and Sarah's barrenness, if we will look in the face of God, I know because I've experienced it, Tim talked about it, others of you have experienced it, before long, you'll see something in his eyes, something in his face. The Holy Spirit will remind you of some story of his majesty. And you'll go, huh, yeah, this isn't that hard. Huh, this is not that big a thing to have happen. Huh, if he could speak everything that exists from nothing, this is no problem. The new covenant opens the pathway to faith, not as a spiritual gift alone that is required for us to manage and nurture. It opens up the pathway to relationship with God in a way that we can find in his love for us and in his eyes and in his smile the goodness and the authority and the power to meet every need that we could possibly encounter. That is what I see in the New Covenant. That is what I see here. Abraham heard God and he went out for an inheritance. Sarah, in spite of all of her shortcomings and all of her mockery and all of her laughter and all of her doubt, she apparently got to the place where she believed God was able to keep his promise. And she bore a son. Noah, warned of God, hmm, took it seriously. See, it's about God. It's about God. It's about us being in relationship. And here we are in the new covenant, perfectly set up to have faith, because what does it say? It says, um, I will have mercy on your transgressions and your sins. I will remember no more. The thing that is, is, is the most common source of doubt about whether God is going to answer our prayers is because we know that we have sin in our lives and we think it is a barrier. The new covenant says it's not. We are not those who shrink back. We are people of faith whose lives will be preserved. What is faith? It is believing in God, coming to him, he who comes to God, is what it says in 6, must believe that he is. And I would add, believe that he is as he is revealed in Jesus, as a good, good father. He's going to come to God, and you're going to believe that he's a rewarder, not a punisher, a rewarder of those that seek him. The last thing I want to point out out of 11, and then 
be in a position as we move forward in a couple uh, next week or so, or no, next week probably, um, into, into 12 and all that goes on. The last thing it says, it goes through all these heroes of faith, lists people like Gideon. Think about it. You can go through every one of these instances that's listed in here. If you'll think about it, you'll realize the reason they're included in here is because they responded to God himself. They didn't just do a mighty exploit. They heard God. They obeyed God. Gideon, he's in there threshing. The angel of the Lord comes, his mighty man of valor, and he answered it. Here's what it says. Verse 39. All these people gained a reputation for their faith, but they didn't receive the promise. God was providing something better for us. Talk about relational and about us being drawn back into the middle of this glorious revelation of new covenant, the new covenant light, the new covenant spin, the new covenant uh, illumination on faith. God was providing something better for us so that they wouldn't reach perfection without our doing so as well. You know, we enjoy it during ascensions when we see, I have a visitor, somebody from the cloud of witnesses or whatever. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's not something that's just resent, uh, restricted to an ascended experience. You and I are linked with the faith of these people in the past. And the, and the linkage is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So our faith, new covenant faith, is first and foremost in God. And I don't want that to discourage you from tackling growing out a leg. I don't want to uh, have that discourage a financial miracle, praying for, for uh, somebody to be raised from the dead. I want that door, those doors to be wide, wide, wide open as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're going to see in chapter 12 that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It was possible for old covenant faith to be hard to get your hands around as relational because there was mediators and distances and sacrifices that were out there. There were times and seasons. All those things have their place. But the new covenant New covenant faith is always relational. It is always with God, in God. And then it spreads to the issues and the objects and the people around us. We had a, a, a discussion that was leading up to this on, on uh, well, last Friday we started with the sin. And Richard, um, Richard said, uh, well, you know, some of this sin stuff doesn't apply anymore to me because I know that God loves me. And and that's the end. And we had a couple conversations this week about that and how how precious that is. That is new covenant faith. I know God and I know he's a rewarder of me because I'm a man seeking him. I'm a woman seeking him. So I just want to I want to commit to that. I want I want to commit that to you that uh New covenant faith is a relationship with God first. And that's really what I got. 
Any, any, go ahead and put it back on uh, gallery for me, Riley. Any thoughts or questions? I, I'm going to keep an eye out in case anybody wants to. It's, uh, it's a few minutes after eight. Do you guys want to break into some groups and have some small group conversation about this? Anybody got a question? Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I just wanted to say a tremendous message tonight. You know, sometimes I think uh, maybe through the years of all that religious stuff, we've searched too deep, too wide. We've put too many parameters on the love of God. Um, and I just don't do that anymore. You know, he doesn't put those kind of parameters on us anymore, and we and we shouldn't. You know, it's just it's just as simple as what you're saying. It's believing. You know, he's a good, good father. He loves us. He wants us to be blessed. And that the belief actually leads us every time more and more into relationship. Yes. So that we can experience what we don't even understand or know. Yes. That's the beautiful part about this flowing out of a relationship rather than out of a, a mental doctrine or something like that. That's why in Philippians, it can say things like, you know, you can get peace beyond understanding. Um, it's, it's, it's a powerful situation that way. Yeah. I like the power, the power duo to faith and grace together, you know? Yeah. Sometimes when maybe where there's not just enough faith in our own way of looking at it, there's still God's grace. Yeah, there is. And you know something, Tim, that uh, hit me when I was looking at this, and I will share this just briefly with everybody. When I first looked at grace and, and did an, uh, an in-depth study about it, particularly out of Hebrews chapter 4, this was a few years ago, I saw this, this lexical definition that grace was the benevolence in the heart of a superior to an inferior, or to a subordinate, or an inferior. You know, what? Because I had grown up with grace being like a like a, like a transactional gift that was given to us, you know, like it, God gave us room to screw up. But no, that room to screw up is a byproduct of the benevolence that God has in his heart for us. And so, so faith is what we, in Galatians, it says faith, uh, uh, or no, it's just further on in Romans, that it's by faith that we stand in his grace. So faith is the, is the look at God. The interaction with God, seeing God literally the way Jesus sees him. That's really what it's about. Jesus came to earth to say, let's trade your way of looking at the Father for mine. Because I know him and you don't. Right. <laughs> and, I, and that's really it. And so when we know and see, then all of a sudden, one of the things we see is, oh, my gosh, your heart's for me and not against me. Your heart is for me, but I screwed up. Your heart is for me, but I was, I was ignorant of you for most of my life, but your heart is for me. This is grace. Grace is a relational heartfelt thing. It's yeah. not a transactional legal thing. That's right. And faith in the new covenant is the ability to catch a glimpse of God's face mm -hmm. and his heart in Jesus Christ. Amen. Ronnie. You talked about belief bringing us to relationship. I see it also as you get belief from relationship. So it brings us there. And then in our relationship with God, we gain the ability to have faith yeah. or the ability, the ability to believe. 
because God yeah, it's an says, ever-growing system. And it's like everything else that, that the scripture says about God. We love because what? He first loved us. We have peace because Jesus gave us his peace. We have joy because Jesus says, I give you my joy, not like the world gives. This all starts with him, but it becomes real in us in the relationship. Yeah. Janet? That's good. Janet, you got your hand up? So on the idea of relationship, uh -huh. you can see you see Jesus knocking at the door of our heart um, in Revelation, mm -hmm. uh, saying, uh, "He who opens the door and lets me come in, I will sup with him, dine with him." Yeah, fellowship. You know, so yeah. I see I see Jesus and the Father and the Spirit at the door, and they've got a feast, and they're wanting to come bring that feast. Into us. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. this is a whole meal. And, they... and, and it's the exact opposite of the way we have a tendency to think if we think the other way. Because if we think the other way, oh, we have an opportunity. Jesus is at the door. What do we have to put before him? And I think you're right. And the scripture, of course, says that plainly I will prepare a feast before your enemy for you. Yes. Yes. He's the, he's the source. In the new covenant, Hammers that home, hammers that home. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. Now you're in Jesus. Jesus is in the center of the priesthood. Now you're completely forgiven. Jesus is in the center of creation. Now you're in the middle of that and, and coming into your identity. Jesus yeah. is in the middle of this covenant because of what he did. And now God meets you with mercy and doesn't remember your sins anymore. Jesus is in the middle of your sin. Therefore, not only are you free from sin, but your mind is cleansed. Jesus is in the middle of your faith so you can see the Father. And he is the author and the finisher. That means faith is a process. But the process is in the relationship. Our faith wouldn't need a finisher if it wasn't a process. And we have assumed that we're the finisher of our faith. We're the ones that have to polish it up. Jesus is. We'll see that next week. We'll see that next week. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you guys. Uh, this is a big topic. It's a big deal. All it requires, though, to get started is to realize that your faith and my faith is not our challenge to manage. It's the gift. A measure of faith has been given to all of us. And now we look to Jesus and he will show us the grace of the heart of the Father. 